Welcome to the week 13 sit-start episode of the QB List podcast. I cannot believe we are at week 13 already. We are through Thanksgiving week. It's all downhill from here. Um, I am joined by Ryan Heath. I am Eric Smith, and we are going to bring you some of the toughest sit-start decisions of the week. Um, As always, make sure to check out QBList.com for our sit-start article. Our team is working on every single fantasy-relevant player. Uh, We are not going to get to them all today, though, because we are going to spend time on some very important subjects, which you'll hear here shortly. So uh, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you. I did want to give a shout out to um, uh, QBList's own uh, Esteval Maximo. Um, He's in the QBList Dynasty League, which I am a part of, but uh, him and three other managers pulled off a four-team trade right before the trade deadline. Seven players traded, two picks in total. Um, If anyone knows Esteval, he is the highest volume trader I have ever come across. Uh, If you are in Discord with him, he has no doubt offered a trade to you before. And this is really Esteval's magnum opus here, like a a four-team trade. I've been a part of three-teamers before, never a part of a four-team trade before. So congratulations to all of them. Uh, Just another reason to be a part of Pitcherless Plus, uh, PL Plus. Um, Come join us, be in the Discord, talk trades all day, join Dynasty Leagues. It's a ton of fun. I am sadly fairly inactive during the season in Dynasty Leagues. I'm more of an off-season trader. I I may have a few too many leagues. So, um, Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Uh, You seem to have gotten yourself in a little trouble on the internet this week. So um, how are you doing? How are you holding up? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. I I enjoy just being in internet controversy, honestly. I'm really happy with how this ended up turning out. So for those that don't know, that don't follow me on Twitter, uh, I found myself in New York City for a couple days this week. And I the last day I was there, I woke up and I thought, you know what? I, I'm going to take a little walk, get out a little early and see if I can find myself a New York bagel. So I left my hotel in Midtown Manhattan, uh, fa- found a deli. Uh, picked up a bagel, sat in Times Square, you know, it was just kind of enjoying myself eating it. It was a pretty good bagel. I, I wouldn't say it was bad or anything, but I, I thought to myself, I'm like, I, I've i heard so much hype about New York bagels specifically. And th- this is this is fine, but it's not like uh, it's not like the best bagel I've ever had. This doesn't like blow out every bagel that I've ever tasted. Like all I've been to just normal cafes in decent sized cities elsewhere in the Northeast, and they have pretty good bagels too. I I don't really get what all the hype is about these New York bagels. So I, I tweeted that out and the internet got pretty upset. Uh, it kind of like I suspected, uh, for, for some reason, everybody from New York is extremely loud online and they they make sure that you know what their opinion is and that and their opinion is usually that new york has the best everything yeah so first of all you're from the northeast i figured you would uh, be a little more aware of this i i'm down here in the midwest whatever you call cincinnati i'm not even sure really what it is it's, it's practically the south sometimes but uh I, I, you know, I think if I traveled to New York, I, it'd be excusable, but come on, Ryan, you're from the Northeast. You should know what a New York bagel is. I see. I don't get how it's different. So I, yeah, I'm from the Northeast. Most of the bagels I've had in my life have been Northeast bagels. I don't know if those are New York style bagels or not, but I I've been elsewhere. Like I, I've been down South. I just went to Portland, Oregon earlier this year. I had a bagel there. It, it was not amazing, sure, but it, it was still a bagel. Like it, it's it's the same thing. 
So this this kind of created like an argument in my mentions that I stayed out of, but I thought it was illuminating. It, just as a New York bagel may or may not be different from a normal bagel, is this analogous to buffalo wings? Like if you if I I'm not from Buffalo, I've never been to Buffalo. If you're in Buffalo, would you call them buffalo wings or would you just call them wings? See. I, I just call them wings most of the time, but if you sit down in a restaurant in most places, it, it'll say buffalo wings. So I, I don't know if these are, I, again, are buffalo wings also a psyop? Is this just made up by buffalo to get people to go there, just like the New York bagels? I, I'm not really sure. As someone from the Midwest, Eric, it, what what's your experience with buffalo wings and New York bagels? <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time since I've been up to the Northeast. I'm actually trying to get back up there relatively soon, but uh, I would call everything Buffalo Wings. I suspect that people in Buffalo have a different opinion of what a Buffalo Wing is, but I think the rest of the country has co-opted that pretty well. It's just a type of sauce at this point. Uh, I think the New York Bagel, though, you're really getting yourself in hot water there. You're you're really crossing a line. Uh, obviously, you crossed the line. You, this is maybe the most comments you've ever had on a Twitter post, so I'd like to congratulate you for that. I'm thinking maybe I need to have more bad food takes because uh, this is obviously going to increase my engagement online. Yeah, the engagement farm was working very, very well. This is the most comments I've gotten on a tweet since I said that Christian McCaffrey wasn't injury prone, I think was the last time I had one pop off like this. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really know where else to go with it. I mean, there were a lot of a lot of replies that I had some opinions on. Uh, I I just see all this and all the vitriol from the New Yorkers and think, have New Yorkers just never gone anywhere else in the country and found good food? Because the, the immediate assumption from all of them is, oh, like be, because you were in Times Square, like you must have just found some touristy place. Like you're, you're like Michael Scott going to Sabaro's for New York style pizza. Like I, I, I understand that you shouldn't just walk into a touristy place and assume it's authentic local cuisine. Like I, 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 yeah, I understand this. This isn't like a new thing that I've never heard of that people are telling me. Uh, but I, I just wonder if people from New York go to other places and that's exactly what they do. Maybe this is projection. <laughs> like you, they show up on the West coast and find their nearest Applebee's and say, well, West coast food sucks. Uh, well, I did ask uh, Nick Pollock from Pitcher List, uh, another shout out to PL Plus, come join our Discord and ask Nick Pollock about uh, New York bagels. But uh, he's a New Yorker. I asked him what makes a New York bagel a New York bagel. Uh, Nick replied, big, chewy, delicious. So that's that's what a style New York bagel is, according to Nick. Uh, he recommended La Bagel Delight. Uh, if you do need to, if you're, if you're back in New York, uh, check that out. I went to their website. Um, it was exactly how you would think a bagel shop would be straight out of the 90s. It barely worked. It was awesome. I, that makes me want their bagels even more, seeing their website. Uh, and then he, I showed him your tweet, and his response was, dude, no, it's the same with pizza. It's different here. So uh, we, we kind of both decided before the show, Ryan, that's the most New York answer you could give to the bagel question. Yeah. So there have been viral tweets from New Yorkers who think that New York is the only place where you can find a corner store and buy milk at any time of the day in a convenient location. Like it, it is it bodega is what they call them there. Right. Yeah. The, these exist all over the country guys. Like I, 
again, I just assume that New Yorkers leave New York and do exactly what they accuse all the New York tourists of doing and of not actually exploring the places they go to. So, yeah, I, I really don't know, but this is, uh, it's really been an eye opening experience for me. I, I was, this was my first time in New York. I was pretty excited to go. I, I thought I had a good time. It was really cool. Uh, just walking around, seeing all the sites, but yeah, it's, it's not like the center of the universe guys. Like it's, which is it, that's what it feels like to some people. Yeah. I, it's been a long time since I've been there. I, I popped in for a, a baseball game at old Yankee stadium. That was about my experience with New York city. But, uh, from down here in the Midwest, I just assumed Ryan that you all were about a 45 minute drive away from each other. And you just visited all these places together. Like in the Midwest, we've got cornfields and rolling Hills. And I just figured you are all on top of each other. So I'm surprised that you do not have more New York city experience. I took a plane from Boston to New York city, which is the, the most like inefficient waste of time thing you can possibly do. Only do that if you really like airports, but that, that was how the itinerary was set out, uh, from my, <laughs> from my day job. So it, whatever I, it was, yeah, I don't know if I'll be going back to New York soon, but if, if I do, I ha- have a ton of bagel recommendations in my mentions that I, I will make sure to check out every single one of them for you guys. All right. Well, that was a lot of fun. I think uh, we do a pretty good job staying on topic here. That was the longest waste of time that we've had on this podcast. So uh, I I think we earned it over a couple of years here. But um, I'm excited to hear everyone tell us how dumb we sound when talking about New York bagels. I've probably somehow uh, thrown myself under the bus as well. So, all right. It's week 13. We've got fantasy football to talk about here. Let's just get straight into it. Um, We're going to talk about running backs here. It's kind of just the news segment together because we've had a lot of news uh, pop up with running backs, running back injuries. So um, let's get to it. Ryan, uh, what questions do you have about my rankings? Which of these situations do you want me to break down here? Yeah, so it's mostly situations I want you to break down. And I, I don't know if this is because I was so busy in New York eating bagels at the beginning of the week, but I've, I've just had a hard time following the news cycle on a lot of these injuries. So tell me kind of what's going on with the Steelers backfield. Uh, what was the touch split on Monday night? And what do we expect to see this coming week uh, with all the injuries and the information we have right now? Yeah, so this worked out pretty well. I watched the Steelers-Colts um, game for what we saw and covered that for the website. So um, I did watch the entire game, uh, Pittsburgh last week, and um, Najee Harris played 30% of the snaps before leaving with an injury. He was kind of limping around even before his oblique injury. and uh, But we were also seeing... Uh, Anthony McFarland and Benny Snell in the game before Harris got hurt. So it was kind of interesting. And it, it ends up for the week, Benny Snell, 40% of the snaps, Anthony McFarland, 30%, Najee, 30%. McFarland actually kind of got the first crack at this last week, but um, it seemed like Benny, Je- Benny Snell played a little better and probably won more of the snaps. Um, but of course, it's more complicated than just what we saw last week. So uh, Najee Harris did not practice Wednesday. They don't believe it's serious, but he looks like he's going to miss this week. Um, but just in time, Jalen Warren is cleared to return from his hamstring injury and is expected to play. So we now have Jalen Warren, Benny Snell, Anthony McFarland. Uh, it's kind of gross. Just the potential three-way split makes it a little scary. I will say like Benny Snell... Um, 
I know we all have this memory from years past of just being a complete plotter, bringing nothing to the table. He showed a little bit last week. Like maybe the time off, maybe he's in better shape. I don't know what it is. He he looked a little better than the Benny Snell I remembered. So if you didn't see him last week, he he's maybe not a complete zero here. But uh, I would expect the pecking order here to be kind of like Jalen Warren, then Benny Snell, then Anthony McFarland. I would expect Warren to be in on some third downs. Uh, so I have Warren ranked the highest at RB30, assuming he plays. Benny Snell would be next. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's the Falcons they're playing, so they've given up the 10th most points to opposing running backs. Uh, I think the hot hand here or the touchdown score could have a pretty nice week. It's just kind of hard to tell. So I do think we may be able to play one of Warren or Snell. I actually liked what I saw from McFarland. I just have a feeling he's third in the pecking order. So I... I wish it was a little clearer. It'd be kind of nice if Jalen Warren had waited another week to return, but we're probably going to have a three-way split here. Yeah, it would also be kind of nice if the Steelers weren't playing the Falcons this week. If this was a matchup against like the Jets or the Bills or something, yeah. we could be like, ah, whatever, it's all gross. We don't need to care. But I agree we need to care uh, against the Falcons. So yeah, yeah, and- I'll, I, I'll echo you on Jalen Warren. Like he... It he's remember, he's the guy that has made Snell and McFarlane be completely expendable and be healthy and actives and be up and down on the practice squad throughout the year. So it the organization clearly wants Warren to be in there if he's healthy. Yeah. And I was pretty impressed with Kenny Pickett. I mean, just kind of for as low as everyone is on him. He looked like an NFL quarterback. He's mobile. I made plays out of the pocket like I. I don't know. I know this offense has a long ways to go to be an average offense, mainly, I think, due to their offensive coordinator. It was kind of odd because he looked pretty good and they just had the complete training wheels on the offense, just real run heavy. And it was hurting the offense. And I think Pickett could have done more. So I'm kind of more worried about the coordinator than I'm the quarterback. But I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if this offense looks a little better down the stretch. The offense line played fine against the Colts. So it looked like a competent offense last week. Yeah, and the Steelers have had a lot of rough matchups earlier in the season as well, and that, and now the schedule is lightening up with matchups like the Colts and the Falcons. So, yeah, yeah. Th- things could be ki- kind of generally okay and competent going forward. I, I could sort of buy that. Uh, speaking of competence, uh, let's talk about the Jets and their newfound competence. Uh, we'll, we'll get to the passing game later, but starting off again with the backfield and – This is another backfield that is kind of hard to keep up with with all the injuries in the new cycle. So just tell me what's been going on here. And now we're talking about Zonovan Knight, who you at one point on this podcast said was a fake name, probably (laughs) less than a month ago. Yeah, I also went everywhere I could last week to hype up Michael Carter, who, of course, sprained his ankle uh, in a good matchup last week. And we saw Zonovan Knight get all the work I hoped Michael Carter would. So it's just it's great having a fancy football podcast sometimes. I'll tell you, Ryan. But uh, yeah, so Michael Carter didn't practice Wednesday. It's a low ankle sprain. It's not a high ankle sprain. But again, I'd be surprised to see him in this week. I'm just kind of assuming that Carter is out. Uh, He played 24% or 30% of the snaps last week. Uh, After he left, Zonovan Knight played 47%. Ty Johnson played 24%. James Robinson was a healthy and active last week. I suppose they could decide to activate him this week and it throws a wrinkle in it, but I think James Robinson is probably off the radar for now. Um, Robert Sala about Zonovan Knight said he was a juicy runner getting north and south. Um, And he said that... uh, uh, Knight was active over James Robinson because his running style was a better fit. So 
I'm not sure why they traded for James Robinson when they had Zonovan Knight on the roster, but that's another story. So yeah, I think Knight's in a pretty good spot here. I mean, the Vikings are allowing the 13th most points to opposing running backs, although it's just 3.8 yards per carry and the Jets are on the road. So it's not the greatest spot, but if Zonovan Knight's the lead back here, I've got him at RB28 and I, I, I think you can start them. I mean, there's only, I think, two teams on a bye this week, so RB28 is not too terrible. Um, I've got him above some decent names this week. Um, I mean, right in the Brian Robinson range. I've got him above Gus Edwards, above Jalen Warren, above Jamichael Hasties, kind of like right at the end of the lead back range um, in the rankings. So I don't know. Uh, they The team really liked what they saw at Zonovan Knight. They think he fits their scheme well, and I think he'll get a pretty good workload here. If they slow down the Vikings offense, they, they're going to run the ball a pretty decent amount. So I would expect him to – We maybe, maybe we don't have that PPR floor that Michael Carter would have, but um, get him a touchdown, you're going to have a pretty good week. Yeah, I'm predicting a fairly pass-heavy game script from the Jets. So it's – yeah, as you said, it's if he's not going to get involved as a receiver, it's hard to really get him up into that real starting running back range for fantasy – yeah, I also I get a little stuck on Ty Johnson. I I kind of wonder if the, this is much closer to like a 50 50 split. I, I don't think Ty Johnson is like a, a total bum. Like, yeah, yes, he's kind of been treated that way by the organization at times, but he's also inexplicably been active in taking 30 percent of the snaps from guys like Brees Hall at points yeah. this season. So, I, yeah, it's really tough to say. I, I think Knight is like a fairly risky play i not not that you're if you're picking up night off the waiver wire you probably don't really have many better options but i yeah th- this isn't one that i feel amazing about yeah I, I think there's there is a chance that james robinson plays and this is like a, a 33 33 33 split like I, I don't think that's impossible either um and i do have players above him like latavius murray even against baltimore um, as Isaiah Pacheco, who I've been pretty low on, DeAndre Swift, who that's a whole nother story. Like I don't have him ranked super high. Uh, he's kind of desperation RB2, I would say, at this point. But if Michael Carter's out, I do think somebody is going to have a decent week here. If they, if one of these guys gets close to 50% of the snaps, I think they'll have a pretty decent week. So I don't know. It's a, overall a pretty good offense, a pretty good environment. They've got a good defense. Like it has, we've seen production from this backfield. So I guess that would be the one, the one positive here for the Jets running back yeah. yeah we've changed our tune on the jets so much so quickly it's, i wonder it's what how that happens yeah I, I wonder why that changed so fast uh all right let, let's move into jacksonville who get the lions this week uh talk to me about travis Etienne. is he gonna play if he doesn't what do we do yeah, I think he is going to play. They claimed that uh, he was reportedly cleared to return last week, but they held him out just to be safe. Uh, it, I want to be skeptical on that because that was a pretty important game against Baltimore, and they could have used him. It was close. That was a huge win for them, and I'm surprised they held him out in that close of a game. But he was limited in practice on Wednesday, so he seems to be trending in the right direction to play. So I'm kind of assuming ETN plays I have him ranked as RB19, so that's obviously not the ETN before the injury where I would have had him ranked, but 
Uh, when he missed last week, uh, Jamichael Hasty was a bell cow. It's kind of crazy, but he played 78% of the snaps last week at a 60% rush share, 14% target share. Uh, he was only 12 for 28 on the ground against Baltimore. We know that Baltimore is a pass funnel. They've got a tough run defense, but uh, he was uh, five catches on five targets for 67 yards and a touchdown in the air. So Hasty, I think, has shown that he is a pretty decent player in this offense. I have him as RB31, even with ETN, assuming ETN doesn't get like the full workload. So uh, Hasty's shown himself in the passing game. I, I think he's got a role here until ETN's back to full speed. So other than that, like Snoop, Snoop Connor only played 10 snaps last week. Um, Daryl Henderson was inactive, but Doug Peterson said, uh, quote, could be a player that we might need for this game. So that's really, really reassuring from Doug Peterson. So thanks for that, Doug. But um, I, I don't think he's probably on the radar yet. So if ETN were to miss, maybe they activate him. But I'm expecting ETN. Um, I was looking into the Lions, and they are kind of interesting, their defense. Uh, they are um, – their overall points allowed to opposing running backs isn't horrible. Um, they have given up the fourth most rushing touchdowns, though, and 4.7 yards per carry. They have given up the second fewest receiving yards, though, per game to running backs and the third fewest receptions. So the Lions have done a good job against pass catching running backs. It's just between the tackles guys who can get them. So just kind of keep that in mind with these matchups. But ETN, if he plays, uh, he's shown he's a really good runner. So I wouldn't worry about that part. Yeah, I will also add that the Lions are somehow favored in this game, uh, which was <laughs> A little surprising to me kind of did a double take there when I was putting the show notes together yeah. uh so it's possible that this is all, much like the Jets this is more of just an air it out type of game script and yeah I mean if there is something to the Lions limiting running backs through the air then yeah that might not set ETN up for the most smashing of performances especially if he is limited uh yeah. I, I will say like just as a word of caution that the the only from what I understand the only source we have on ETN being uh like likely to play is him himself so yeah. I I feel like we w should like grade that on a curve when the player says it yeah uh and yeah and when when we're getting the amazing Doug Peterson quotes about Daryl Henderson it, ju it just muddies everything else up but yeah, yeah. fair enough I I think if yeah, if ETN plays, he's in your lineup. Uh, and yeah, ho hopefully we're not talking more about Jamichael Hasty at the end of this week. Yeah, I mean, I snuck like uh, Ezekiel Elliott above ETN, David Montgomery. Those are a couple players I would not have above him usually. Uh, but I still have him ahead of Jeff Wilson Jr., Damian Pierce, Miles Sanders against Tennessee. Like that that's kind of the range I have him in. Jeff Wilson's playing the 49ers. So I, I kind of have him above some of the tough matchups because I do think it's a generally good spot for him. So we'll see how much he plays. If if he completely sat out, I think Hasty probably sneaks up into the probably RB twenty four to twenty-six range, as crazy as that sounds. I, I think I think uh Hasty would be a pretty solid play if ETN does sit. Yeah, speaking of Jamichael Hasty, who was Tyrion Davis Price before Tyrion Davis Price, he and before and he was Elijah Mitchell before Elijah Mitchell, really. That Hasty was the original low draft capital running back in the 49ers backfield. Uh let's talk about the 49ers backfield as I clumsily transition in when the longest way possible. Uh because this is another backfield that has some injuries that we probably need to catch up on and take some stances on the guys that are further down this depth chart. Uh, so give me the lay of the land here, Eric. 
Yeah, so first of all, they, they face a Dolphins defense that is pretty good against the run. Uh, I think it's only like 3.7 yards per carry they're allowing. So not the greatest matchup, especially if the Dolphins put up some points. But uh, it's kind of going south here pretty fast in this backfield. Um, Elijah Mitchell is out six to eight weeks with another MCL injury. Uh, Christian McCaffrey did not practice after you uh, very wisely told us about the contraption he was wearing on the What We Saw podcast. So uh, that has held up. He did not practice on Wednesday. They called him day-to-day with knee irritation. It's possible they're just being cautious with CMC and he's full go next week. It's, it's kind of hard to tell right now on Wednesday night. I haven't ranked RB10 just because of concerns around his injury and he hasn't exactly been smashing the last couple weeks and like I said it's not the easiest matchup but uh full bill of health he's back up to his normal like RB five four spot probably so uh obviously if he plays you're gonna play him but um after CMC it's Jordan Mason Tyrion Davis Price and Tevin Coleman Ryan uh Tevin Coleman's still around he could come back it's I, I think we need to take a stance on one of these players because There's so much opening here with Elijah Mitchell out, CMC already dinged up. Even Debo Samuel is dealing with hamstring and quad issues. We know he can get carries at times. So I think we need to take a stance here on one of these backs. Uh, I am inclined to rank it Tyrion Davis-Price, Jordan Mason, and then Tevin Coleman. I... Jordan Mason filled in last week, but I think it's kind of he's active for special teams and he just comes in when they're in-game injuries. But I would expect to see Tyrion Davis-Price, and I I think he has the most upside as the backup to CMC. And if something did happen to CMC, like this is a wide-open backfield, like as wide open as it gets in a good offense. So I think people should go out and add one of these three guys. I'd be curious if you have any thoughts on TDP, Mason, or Coleman. Yeah, I mean, whenever I need a take on like a marginal player in season, all I do is dust off the take from the preseason, right? So it's it's got to be Tyrion Davis Price, right? <laughs> but I, even like jokes aside, we've also seen Davis Price play over Jordan Mason earlier yeah. in the year as Jeff Wilson as well. Like, yeah, as you said, it, it seems like Jordan Mason's a special teams player. We've walked this path before, so... Yeah, I, I agree with you on the order you put them in. Uh, Coleman is last, obviously, as the otter of this backfield. Uh, we're talking about a lot of otters today, aren't we? Does, does Jamichael Hasty count as an otter too? We we talked about Ty Johnson. There, he's yeah, this there. is this is the theme of this podcast. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, we could even talk about Latavius Murray later if you want. Mike Boone. I don't know. We could keep going. The the, the Baltimore backfield. We kind of skipped that because we just can't handle it anymore. But. Yeah, it's, it's the time of the year. Uh, these names are popping up. They won't go away, and it's just more of the same. So I just I really do think people need to focus on this backfield, though, because this is a good offense. They can run the ball, and, I mean, we're, we are a two- or three-week injury to CMC away from just a huge opportunity here. So I think it's worth stashing someone. If you have a different view on your favorite, just go for it. Just add them onto the back of your roster, maybe like right before kickoff, and just see what happens because um, there's big opportunity here. Completely agreed. All right, Eric, are there any other injuries at the running back position that you think we should quickly mention or get get some takes out there about just with how many there are this week? 
Yeah, I'll run through a few and then let me know if you have any big takes on any of this. Um, Josh Jacobs, they've made it sound like he might not practice this week. I wonder if it's because he ran the ball 33 times last week in an overtime game. So keep an eye on that. I don't know if he's actually hurt or if they're just trying to rest him. Um, But I mean, he's a top five running back if he's healthy, which is insane. But um, DeAndre Swift is off the injury report for the first time since week one. I think we still have to wait and see on Swift, but maybe it's getting better. I, I still have him ranked RB25 this week. Jacksonville, they're playing Jacksonville. They actually have not been that bad against the run this year. Um, so maybe better days ahead for Swift, but it's kind of like a joke at this point, I feel like. Uh, Jarek McKinnon didn't practice with a hamstring injury. I think that has some rippling effects with uh, Isaiah Pacheco and then potentially even Ronald Jones. We saw him play some last week with CEH hurt, so keep an eye on that. Uh, Mike Boone is back from IR for the Broncos. There's not much there other than Latavius Murray. So I don't know. He's shown some juice in the past. I could see him having a little role. And then um, Raheem Mostert's on track to play coming back from injury and J.K. Dobbins. So uh, those are just some of the ones I hit I hit on and just noticed while I was setting rankings. Dobbins, I would not put him anywhere near my lineup the first week back. I would wait and see. Mostert, I think you could probably plug him in. It's a bad matchup against San Francisco, so that's why I have him ranked pretty low in my rankings. Um, but other than that, I, I would generally trust Mostert more than I would Dobbins the first week back. I, Jeff Wilson was taking over that Dolphins backfield even before yeah. Mostert got hurt, right? Like I, I feel like I would have him in a similar position of Dobbins. Is like I, I don't think you can play him on his first week back. Um, yeah, I guess that's true. I guess I have Mostert thirty eight and Dobbins forty three, so they are in the same ballpark. I guess Mostert only missed one week, I believe. Um, Dobbins has been out for a while, coming off a major injury. So yeah, I, I would expect probably Mostert to be in the thirty five percent snap share range. Um, I guess Dobbins, I wouldn't be surprised if he's out there for 10 snaps. I guess that's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah, that's fair enough. All right, let's move on to wide receiver. Uh, so when I was putting these receivers together, Eric, uh, I realized that the first two guys I wrote on the show sheet are actually the same guy. Uh, so starting with Terry McLaurin, uh, and with, with that information audience, you can try to guess who the second guy is. Uh, so I, I've got McLaurin ranked at wide receiver 22 right now against the New York giants. So my thing with McLaurin is the volume he's been getting suggests I should be higher on him. And I, I am below and I am low on him compared to expert consensus, Uh, He's seen 14.8 oppo per game in the last month, which ranks 15th among receivers. So I just straight up based on opportunity, I'm discounting him by like seven spots. I, the last time that Curtis Samuel even topped four targets was week seven. Like it's very clear that this is McLaurin's offense. He is the alpha here. So I should be feeling good about everything here, right? And the, I mean, the matchup is fine. The Giants have been pretty average against opposing receivers, uh, allowing the 12th fewest fantasy points, but that that's basically the same as the six teams on either side of them. But I, I just look at this commander's offense with Taylor Heineke. Washington is 27th in EPA per play this year. Uh, McLaurin, the, the oppo model says that he should have 1.2 more touchdowns in the last month than he has. Do, do I, should I expect any scoring from the, like, I, I just don't, 
I look at this and don't want to rank him where his volume is as much as all the numbers say I should. So I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, Eric. I feel pretty similarly. There's been a lot of uh, support for Taylor Heineke lately, I feel like. And I will fully admit I do not watch a ton of Washington Commanders football. So I'll be the first to admit that. But haven't we been down this road before? Like, He's the, the team likes him. He plays hard. He's a relatively smart quarterback. But I mean, just look at the passing volume. Like he's he's throwing 23, 27, 29 passes a game. He's completing 14. Like now I, I agree with you. I don't I can't get very excited about anyone in this offense. I mean, even the running backs at this point, they're splitting the work down the middle. And it's just it's the same old Washington offense we've seen. And it's just, it's hard for me to get excited about it at all. So I agree. We still, we still free Terry McLaurin. Like that's still something that we need to see happen, but it's just not going to happen with Heineke quarterback. We've been saying free Terry McLaurin his entire career, him and DJ Moore are just the eternally stuck in these situations. It's, it's really not fun. No. And that, I mean, just big picture. I don't know how they're ever going to get a, a top-notch quarterback to come to their team with the situation in Washington. So unless they draft a high-end one, and it doesn't look like they're going to because they're a pretty decent team winning games. Like, yeah, I I don't know how Washington gets out of this this mediocre spiral that they're in. Yeah, speaking of mediocre spirals. The, oh, worse than that. Yeah, it, <laughs> honestly, yeah, that was way too kind. Yeah, I, Russell Wilson is no Taylor Heineke, am I right? right. So the, the guy that... I feel the exact same way about is Cortland Sutton. I have him wide receiver 24 uh, at the Baltimore Ravens this week. His stats just kind of mirror McLaurin's uh, 14.1 oppo per game in the last month. That's 20th among receivers. Uh, He's 1.5 expected touchdowns below the model right now. Again, why should we be assuming that the Broncos are going to score touchdowns there? One of the lowest scoring teams in the common era, which is really, really funny. Uh, they're, they're 28th in EPA per play this year, right below Washington. Uh, the matchup is at least good. Baltimore has allowed the six mo- most points to opposing receivers in the last month. And I mean, similarly to McLaurin, like Sutton doesn't have target competition right now. Like um, until or unless Jerry Judy comes back, the, the, we're talking about Kendall Hinton and Greg Dulcich, who has really fallen off pretty hard, just ha- has not gotten much of any opportunity recently. So again, like I've got Sutton ranked a few spots below the type of volume and workload he's been getting. Uh, also with Sutton, I think it's a little more fair to question exactly how talented and how complete of a receiver he is at least compared to someone like Terry McLaurin. So I, I, I feel like I'm too high on him. If anything, like I, I've, I've been ranking Sutton like 10 spots below consensus for a lot of the last month. And I, I don't know why I'm suddenly being so kind just because he gets to play Baltimore this week. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I had to pull up their box score while you were p- talking from last week, because I noticed going through the tight end rankings, you know, it's easy this time of the year to kind of gloss over on these teams and, 
I kind of lose sight of the production. And I was going through tight end and I noticed, like you said, how bad Greg Dulcich was. Like he had three targets last week. And then you're talking about Cortland Sutton. And I'm like, oh, he's probably getting his 12 targets a game. I looked at it. It was eight last week. So I was like, oh, Russell Wilson must have thrown 23 times. No, he threw 35 times. Like that's not awful. So I was like, where are these targets going to? And it's, it's a bad list, Ryan. Like it's, so there were 32 targets to the receivers. So three of them must have been batted down or throwaways. But eight targets for Sutton, nine for Kendall Hinton, four for Brandon Johnson, three for Montreal Washington, two for Jalen Virgil. Virgil, excuse me. We've got a target to Divine Zigbo, Marlon Mack, Latavius Murray, three for Dulcich. Like it's that's a horrible list of names. And yeah, they're not even funneling the targets that much to Sutton. Like if we could chop off half of those targets to Hinton and give them to Sutton, then that's helps. But I mean, this is a brutal offense. Like, I mean, Latavius Murray was their best player on paper last week. And I suppose that's off of a 52 yard run. That was most of it. But yeah, this offense is horrible. Um, I mean, you have him ranked, I think, as the second worst quarterback this week, something like that. And a lot of the advanced statistics out there uh, would agree with you that it, this is brutal. So I don't, I, that was a lot of words to say that this offense is a stay away, probably other than Latavius Murray and maybe even Mike Boone will eat into his work. Uh, there were some messages thrown around today in our little QB list wins pool that we're both a part of. Uh, and I've been trying not to pay attention to it all season. So basically before the year, each of us drafted three teams and all, all it was, was just try to get the teams that will get the most wins. Uh, yep. So I was reminded that in our, our first round of that little wins pool draft, I took the Broncos when I could have had the Chiefs and I, I'm just wondering what I and everyone else was thinking before the season, because I very specifically remember like looking at the Vegas win totals when I was making these decisions. Like I, I was not just doing whatever I felt like I, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to make some informed decisions based on what the market is telling us. So Yep. I know that the Broncos were at least close to the Chiefs in win expectation, and it it just feels so hard to believe now at, after what we've seen for 12 weeks. Yeah, I mean, it's probably one of the most disappointing seasons we've had in I don't even know how long, 20-some years. I mean, when you factor in, like you said, they're over-under before the season and where it's at now, it's it's absolutely brutal. Yeah, all right. Speaking of absolutely brutal, uh, <laughs> I, I would – characterize Jacoby Myers's recent production in that way. Uh, so I do have him wide receiver 35 against the bills this week, but when we check in with the target volume, which is supposed to be his whole thing, yeah. he hasn't been over six targets since back in week eight. Uh, in that time, he has just 9.9 oppo per game, which ranks 50th among receivers. So I, and Look, I'm a Pats fan. I've watched every single one of these Pats games. I've been like, this just doesn't seem right. Like there, there hasn't been any other receiver that's been stepping up. Uh, it's not not like we've had no pass volume in the last month. Like what what's going on? So uh, then I checked the box on the Oppo spreadsheet to include running backs. Uh, and I figured out that Ramondre Stevenson has out-targeted Jacoby Myers in the last month, 23 to 16. Uh, and he, that, that's a problem, like especially with Damian Harris already being ruled out for this week. Ramondre is just going to be on the field for 80 plus percent of the snaps. 
And it, I mean, if things go as they have been, I, Mac Jones only wants to throw it over Andre Stevenson, seemingly. Yeah, I noticed Stevenson this week as well. Uh, even against Buffalo this week, I have him as my RB6. And I have him ahead of Derrick Henry at Philadelphia and Jonathan Taylor at Dallas. Like, I, those are tough matchups on the road. I would take Stevenson pass catching over them this week personally. Like, it's pretty wild. I mean, he's got, what, uh, six or more targets in each of the past five weeks? Like, it's just, it's a full box score when you look at his game hog. He's getting a ton of work in the passing game. He's double digits every week. Yeah, so that's... I guess I hadn't thought about it that way. Um, but yeah, that is where Jacoby Myers' targets have gone. He did miss some time last week and come back with an injury. Uh, and, you know, he had the quarterback injury, and there's been some stuff going on there. But yeah, it's um, <laughs> he, he, there's not enough room in that passing game for Ramondre Stevenson and Jacoby Myers to be volume targets. Yeah, and I almost feel like having him at wide receiver 35 is kind of generous. Like, it, it's not like there's a ton of big play upside here or anything like that. Like, there, there's not, like, this incredible ceiling from week to week. Like mm. The only reason that I haven't just totally tanked him is that Buffalo is actually a good matchup for wide receivers. I, I don't know if I blinked and missed this, but they <laughs> have allowed the most fantasy points to opposing wide receivers over the last month. Uh, so maybe the game plan is pass heavy and is attacking the slot. It's definitely possible, but since I was on the kick of listing the EPA per play of all these teams, uh, the Patriots are 26th in EPA per play. So just above the commanders and the Broncos this season, which is, which feels very depressing to me. Yeah, I think you've got him about in the right spot, a wide receiver 29. I'd, I'd probably put George Pickens ahead of him um, against Atlanta. And then I don't know what to do with Zay Jones, Ryan. I I I would be stuck on that call between uh, Jacoby Myers and Zay Jones. But I think you could at least move him down a spot, maybe two. But I, I think he probably belongs there. Uh, wow, Gabe Davis, uh, he's fallen, huh? I just saw him down there on your list. But yeah, I think Jacoby's in the right spot generally. I, I'd move Pickens ahead, but I can't I can't push back too much where you have him ranked. All right. Well, I'm going to talk about a receiver that I expect you that I also expect you to try to get me to push up now. Uh, It's Van Jefferson. He's a thing now. Um, (laughs) This I'm so glad it's week 13 and this is where we're at. Yeah. Right now, I have him as the wide receiver 40 against the Seahawks. So if if you haven't been paying attention to the Los Angeles Rams recently, I don't blame you. So here's why Van Jefferson is suddenly a thing. So Allen Robinson and Cooper Cup are both out for the season now. Uh, Matt Stafford also is. So you wouldn't think that there's anything we care about in this offense, given all that information. Uh, But we look up and Van Jefferson led the team in routes run last week. He was the only Rams receiver to play over 70% of the snaps. Managed to command seven targets, uh, was 33rd in oppo on the week. Uh, Caught three of them for 29 yards and a touchdown. The only reason I'm even entertaining this is because the other names in this Rams passing game are Ben Skoranek, whose pronunciation I just nailed. If anybody tells me that was wrong, you are wrong. Uh, Tutu Atwell, who is half my size. Uh, so somebody named Brandon Powell. I don't. I don't think that's real. And also somebody named Lance McCutcheon. 
the Rams are 31st in EPA per play, by the way. We're just trying, we're getting all <laughs> the way down here. It's slowly making our way down these horrible offenses. But I, I don't know, Eric, as the Van Jefferson enthusiast, can you get me higher than wide receiver 40? Is it, is this someone I should be ranking over a Jacoby Myers? Like, I, I don't really know at this point. No, much of my Van Jefferson enthusiasm was tied to Matthew Stafford and uh, also Cooper Cup drawing a lot of double teams. So no, I you're not going to get any pushback from me. Um, I would also note that um, it appears that they've got a quarterback decision to make between John Wolford and uh, Bryce Perkins. So uh, I don't think it matters, but um, <laughs> they're, they're still deciding that. Uh, Sean McVay declined to say who would get the first team reps at practice. So uh, it's a mess. This team is putting everyone on IR, it seems like. All the important players are coming up with injuries. I think just about everyone other than Jalen Ramsey at this point. So, no, this is a sinking ship here. I, If they, if you could give me any kind of passing volume, I might get talked into Jefferson. But, like, Perkins didn't even look like a quarterback that we can trust to kind of sling it around in garbage time. So, uh, no, I, I'm not sure I would roster him. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's a mess there. Yeah, you'll, you'll have to excuse me for not having a – take on Walford versus Perkins yeah I I agree I don't I don't think it really matters maybe I'm too high on Jefferson I yeah we'll (laughs) have yeah we'll have to re-examine after the podcast didn't Walford have a moment there when Jared Goff was still around I think he missed some games with a thumb injury and it was kind of like a Taylor Heineke performance maybe I could be wrong it could be a different backup quarterback I think that's probably enough time spent on the Rams so let's just move on Ryan um you've got your quarterback streamers this week um I I don't know. I kind of don't mind them this week. I, we've had worse weeks, maybe. I, I don't know. I guess it depends on your opinion of uh, Marcus Mariota, who's been in it every other week. Yeah, I mean, we have guys to talk about who aren't Marcus Mariota this week. So that that's an improvement from some weeks. Uh, yep. So let, let's actually talk about Jared Goff, because he is now under the streaming threshold we use. He's only rostered in 48% of Yahoo League's. I have him ranked as the QB 14 against the Jaguars this week. As I mentioned earlier, the Lions are favored by half a point at home, and they have the fourth highest implied total of any team this week. So should be a really good scoring environment, especially because the Lions and the Jaguars are actually the two most generous defenses in the last month to opposing quarterbacks. So could be a really easy type of shootout, like one of those ones that's really easy to spot. I'll absolutely take Jared Goff as the favored quarterback in that. And I mean, even better, the Lions should have to throw to stay in this game. That's kind of Ben Goff's issue is the Lions won't always just dial up all of the passing volume he needs to be viable in fantasy. But this should be a pretty competitive game, and I, I don't think the Lions are going to be able to lean on the run here. Yeah, I mean, get him in a dome so you avoid some of the bad weather this time of the year. Uh, I thought Trevor Lawrence looked awesome last time I saw him play, so you got some points coming on the other side. Yeah, I like it. Derek Carr looks like a good streamer. Or, I'm sorry, I was on your list. Jared Goff looks like a good streamer this week. Yeah, and speaking of good streamers, uh, we've got maybe the best streamer it, of all time in the history of the NFL. It is finally time to talk about Mike White. He is my QB 16 at the Vikings this week. That's actually a typo. He he is really my QB one. I'll be fixing that very quickly after this podcast uh, before I even look at Van Jefferson. But he's only rostered in 15% of Yahoo leagues right now. 
And the reason I say he should be the QB one, Mike White is first this season among all quarterbacks in EPA per play with a minimum of 30 plays, which is exactly how many he has. Uh, but we're not <laughs> cherry picking at all here. Uh, if, if you're curious in that stat, Zach Wilson was 38th. Uh, so the, we talked about the quick change in the vibes in New York. Uh, yeah, that's the reason why. And the game total also seems to agree. It is up three points from when it opened. It's now at a pretty decent 44 and a half. And the Vikings have been the seventh best matchup for opposing quarterbacks in the last month. And they just allowed a QB one performance from Mac Jones of all QBs. So I, I like memes aside, I really don't hate playing Mike White this week if you are in a tough spot. Uh, I would just like to point out that you have him ranked above at least two, maybe three Hall of Fame quarterbacks, which I think is just amazing. You've got him ranked above Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, um, Russell Wilson. I'm assuming he's a Hall of Famer. And then you got a, even a borderline one there in Matt Ryan. So it's just uh, he is right above Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. I love it. I Give Mike White the jacket already. Like, what What are we even <laughs> talking about here? Like, we, we were giving it to Romeo Dobbs before the season. I, I think mid-season we can make the call that Mike White is going to the hall I mean have you heard the way that the locker room talks about him he's apparently the greatest guy who's ever lived so I, I think it's just around the corner all right that that's yeah I don't think there's any more to say on Mike White like the, j- just pick him up and let, let him lead your fantasy squad to victory that's all kind of all you need that's all all the analysis that's we're gonna give like we're, we're done with the pot no we're not actually done with the podcast uh we i before we're done with the qb streamers i just have to mention that marcus Mariota is my qb 19 i still only rostered in 36 percent of yahoo leagues i i am done saying actual things about him other than that he's still the qb 11 on the year the steelers have been the 11th toughest matchup for quarterbacks in the last month uh getting tj watt back has definitely helped out their defense uh but the game has moved from the Falcons being home underdogs to this being just a straight pick them last I looked. So yeah, whatever Mariota, maybe play them if you need to. Yep. That's interesting. It's moved from, so that's, yeah, based on that Monday night performance, they downgraded the Steelers, which I thought they looked okay. That's interesting. Okay. Anyway, uh, yeah, we've talked enough about Marcus Mariota. So uh, let's get to tight end streaming for this week. Um, a little bit of state of the position right here. Uh, it's just as bad as you think it is. Um, we only have eight tight ends scoring 10 or more PPR points per game this year, just eight. And 10 points per game is a pretty low bar in a PPR league. Um, those eight are including Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz, who are hurt, and David Njoku, who has missed time with an injury. So uh, pretty brutal. Uh, the gap between Travis Kelsey, the tight end one, and Mark Andrews, the tight end two, is the same as the gap between Mark Andrews and Evan Ingram, who is the tight end 21. So <laughs> Kelsey is, I think if drafts happened today, he would be a top, I don't even know, three pick. Like he has blown the competition out of the water. So if you drafted Kelsey, congratulations. And then I did want to say, uh, first game without Kyle Pitts with him on IR, uh, wouldn't you know it, Michael Pruitt scored a touchdown for the Falcons, Ryan. Uh, you just cannot make this stuff up. So Kyle Pitts is out for the year. Um, we can worry about this Kyle Pitts thing next year because I, I just it, I just can't do it anymore. 
I am very excited for Kyle Pitts offseason discourse, honestly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Travis Kelsey, I think, is leading all players in wins above replacement right now. So he could realistically be the 101 if we drafted today. Like he he's giving you the biggest advantage, especially con- taking positional scarcity into consideration of any player. Like you, if I mean, yeah. if you're doing your perfect draft, you want Travis Kelsey in the first round. You you can get yeah. like your Josh Jacobs and your Ramondre Stevenson's and your Kenneth Walkers later, right? So uh, yeah, Kelsey it, as probably the best early round pick in fantasy so far this year. I wonder if he can sneak into like top five range next year. I would assume no because of how uh, desperate everyone is to draft a running back. Um, I mean, he probably deserves to be in the top five, but I I suppose we are even seeing like Cooper Cup and Jamar Chase fall out of the top five this year and Justin Jefferson. So I'd imagine he probably tops out on average. I don't know, like seventh pick overall next year i don't know i'll be curious to see where he gets drafted yeah and i mean we're gonna be saying the same handful of things about his age too next year yeah. like I, I i don't know i wouldn't be surprised if he is again falling to the back of the first round like it yeah i think that just wouldn't surprise me yeah i think we should probably stop worrying about his age until something happens because i mean just that touchdown he scored last week he's just like cutting and just i don't even know how he jukes people on these yards after catch he's not fast necessarily it's he's just got a special skill set and I I don't think age is necessarily going to slow it down as long as he's healthy so all right let's get into the real tight end streamers here there's really not much worth talking about this week there's just a lot of horrible options so um the only ones I'm going to highlight um Foster Moreau he's 40% percent rostered he's literally playing all the snaps for the Raiders um he he was tied for second on the team last week with seven targets behind Devontae Adams and he scored a touchdown it's not much production there but the tight end streaming is pretty gross just in general. So um, other than him, Tyler Conklin, I know we talk about him every week. I guess I would say uh, he's only 21% rostered. He was only three catches on three targets for 50 yards last week, but he played 80% of the snaps and Mike White is back. We know the volume is going to be up. So I would not be surprised to see Conklin's targets start trending up here. So those are really the only ones I wanted to mention. There's a lot of the regular gross ones floating around waivers that I don't think are very good options this week. Uh, I would say beware Jelani Woods for the Colts. I watched that game. He looked really good. He came out of nowhere, caught eight passes on nine targets for 98 yards. He was Matt Ryan's primary target in the second half, but uh, Kylan Granson missed last week and he's back at practice. It was just an illness that he missed from. And we've just seen these Colts tight ends. They're impossible to trust. So like Jelani Woods is technically on the streaming radar because not many tight ends are even going to have eight for 98 once this year, but um, his floor is zero. So like, I, I, I don't, I can't recommend playing Jelani Woods, but in a deep league, the upside is there. I'm kind of glad you called that out because I'll admit I I just like saw Jelani Woods' name on like all the trending players and transactions. I'm like, okay, yeah, Jelani Woods. Like we got Colts tight end finally. Like he, I know he's athletic. Like I I, I was just like ready to just accept Jelani Woods, and I, I'm glad yeah. that you did, did like a tiny bit of critical thinking and to, told me why that's probably not the greatest idea. Yeah, I mean, we tried to do Mo Alley Cox earlier this season, and I was burnt real bad. I fell for that for one week, and that was the last of that. So I don't know. It's one of those. It, it's not rational analysis, but we've just seen such rotation here with the Colts that I just I'm not going to believe it yet. All right, let's move on to defense. Uh, we have got some options here. Uh, so the first one that jumps out to me is the Cleveland Browns at the Houston Texans. 
I think the big appeal here is that the Browns should easily put this game away. Uh, I There's like the Deshaun Watson narrative and all of that. I'm sure he'll be plenty motivated against his former team. Could lead to a big negative game script for Houston. A lot of interception potentials for Kyle Allen, who I believe is starting again. So that the Browns seem like a pretty straightforward streamer. Yeah, I mean, my or excuse me, Houston, they've given up the third most points uh, to opposing fantasy defenses. And I mean, last week, Miami scored 18 points on them. Washington scored 19 fantasy points the week before. It was like before that, nine points, eight points, nine points, 10 points. Like they've they've been giving it up to everybody. So you could just play anyone against Houston at this point. I've been shocked that the last two weeks uh, I've been able to pick them uh, teams up against Houston pretty easily in most leagues. Uh, I don't know why everyone's not targeting Houston, but they are awful. Um, Brandon Cooks, and he seems to be like revolting on the team right now. Like I, they're in like shutdown mode. So unless Deshaun Watson coming back sparks a fire in them, and yeah, Cleveland does have a bad run defense. Maybe we get 30 carries for 150 yards from Damian Pierce, but like that's the only place where this goes poorly playing the Browns defense. There's just so many teams that have just quit on this season or that it feel, or that it feels like have, I don't know this. I, I would have to time travel back to some of our older podcasts from years past to see if we were making all these complaints in, in <laughs> other years, but yeah, it, it just feels like there there's at least half a dozen teams that are just, just kind of nothing right now. Well, Houston is leading the pack, so yeah. keep targeting them. <laughs> Um, other than that, I don't, I don't know that there are great options beyond the Browns. Uh, we've got the Packers at the Bears. Uh, obviously, that's not in consideration if Justin Fields plays. Uh, but if he doesn't, that's probably decent. Uh, but th- then we get down to the Vikings against Mike White. I would never play a defense against Mike <laughs> White. I don't, I don't even know why that's on this list. Uh, and we've also got the Steelers at the Falcons. They, we could see some sacks there for sure with TJ Watt. Marcus Mariota is, isn't going to get rid of the ball super quickly, but not, not like we can expect a ton of dropbacks either. So I, I guess of these four, I would rank them Browns, Packers, Steelers, Vikings. Yeah, I would definitely go Browns, Packers, and then... Yeah, probably Steelers. Yeah, I I, I kind of want to say Vikings because they're at home. But yeah, Jets are a pretty good team overall. So I, I would agree with you there. But just go get the Browns. They're in a lot of leagues. So that, that would be my advice. Yeah, the Vikings are the home favorites. So I like I should be on that for sure. But I, I'm not yeah. because because my quite. Yeah, and even some of the ones on the borderline of 50% rostered aren't real great. Like we've got 51% rostered Washington at the Giants. Um, We've got 53% Broncos at Baltimore. Uh, Jets at Minnesota, 54%. Um, Seattle at the Rams is a nice one. They're 60%. So if if Seattle against the Rams are out there, uh, go get them. Because like we said earlier, the, the Rams are pretty atrocious right now. So, okay. I think that wraps it up pretty well. Uh, Check out um, Michael James's uh, piece on uh, defensive streaming if you want more breakdown there. But uh, I think we covered it this week, Ryan. We are uh, approaching the fantasy playoffs very quickly. I think maybe next week we'll get some uh, playoff preview stuff going. So I try to help you set your rosters and uh, plan ahead for the playoffs that are approaching. But um, until then, just check out Sit Start on the website. We'll have the What We Saw podcast coming out Sunday night as always. But uh, enjoy the rest of your week and talk to you all soon.